Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are in the Cherokee Podcast studio again this week. Happy to be back together, Don. No uh, remote, no phone, no long distance this week. Good to have you in here, Tori. Back again. I love it. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I think, uh, obviously, the uh, remote thing is okay for when we have to, uh, but there's nothing quite like being in the studio and uh, us getting a chance to knock around some ideas and interact a little bit before we get started. So That's for our listeners, this is episode number 70. Sweet. So we've been at this for quite a while. Um, we're going to continue our uh, systematic uh, asking of all of you to ask your friends and people that you know that are Fast Pitch fans to uh, listen to everything Fast Pitch, to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, you can find a link to the podcast right on our website at fastpitchprep.com. Or you can also yep. find um, the uh, podcast on all the podcast servers now, Stitcher, Apple, iTunes. Um, it's available to you uh, with a couple of clicks uh, if you want to get it on uh, on your app, uh, on your phone, or, or go to it uh, through the website either way. Um, but we would love for you to ask your friends to uh, give us a shot, uh, listen to an episode, and uh, as always, to contribute any way you can. If you have a recommendation for a topic or a, a question you would like us to, like us to answer. Um, also, if uh, you just uh, want to talk about the game of fast pitch softball, we're always looking for feedback and looking for our listeners to get involved. Absolutely, Tori. And I think uh, if you're a player, get your coaches to check it out. That can inspire a lot of good conversations at practice and uh, be helpful for everybody, for sure. Absolutely. Well, this week's episode, um, we're going to be doing a question and answer, a listener mailbag. And also, we did have some interesting feedback on last week's podcast, no, which, we'll, no, did which we? we'll talk about. Uh, but we'll, we'll save the excitement for that when we get to uh, uh, to that primary topic after we get done awesome. with the uh, uh, reader's mailbag. Awesome. Uh, but we're going to start off with our shout-out segment. And our shout-out segment is sponsored by Da Vinci's Pizza. Da Vinci's Pizza is located at 4200 Wade Green Road in Kennesaw, Georgia, and the phone number there is 770-392-8989. And our player of the week this week is a very personal and selfish recognition on my part. Our Atlanta Vipers 08 team, uh, coached by John Stewart, uh, the team that I help with, won the 10 and under ASA National Championship this that past weekend. That is awesome, awesome right there. I love it. And it was a very exciting uh, couple of days. We were in Johnson City, Tennessee, and uh, Johnson City is up there in the mountains, a beautiful part of the beautiful part of the world. And I did come to one realization. It's a good thing I don't live in Johnson City. Not much happening. <laughs> oh, no, no. There's a lot going on there. It's, yeah. a, it's a really cool town. But they have a drive through fast food place called Pal's. Ah. And Pals features, you know, very fundamental food. Burgers? Burgers, hot dogs, and burgers, and hot dogs. Are they like but the burger, home style? Yeah, but the burger is the biggest, fattest, best tasting burger I've had in a long time. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, and uh, so um, the good news was we were up there for four or five days, so I had a chance to eat there four or five times. Bad news is if I lived there, I'd probably weigh about 700 pounds. <laughs> it's not a bad thing to, to eat well. Yeah. Well, eat well and eat happy are two different things. Right. Though. And so you know, I've spent a little bit of time trying to work on the eating well part. But pals, um, there's a shout out for you. If you're in the Johnson City area, if you're one of our listeners up around uh, Johnson City or Knoxville, if you know what we're talking about, please chime in. Uh, you can help us uh, um, spread the word about uh, that uh, wonderful place that you got right there in town. But so our team ended up uh, going undefeated through the tournament, uh, but played an exciting, exciting championship game. Uh, we beat a team, uh, Carolina Elite, 
in uh, tiebreaker in the uh, uh, That's what it's all inning. about right there. I love it. And uh, we got down early. Uh, their pitcher was pitching really well. Then we started chipping away and slowly but surely got back in it. Um, they were up 6 nothing, and then we kind of whittled our way back in. We ended up going up 7-6 uh, to six in the top of the 7th, and we're very close to getting out of the game there, but then uh, they tied it up, uh, and then we got two, and they only got one, but they had the uh, uh, tying run at third and the winning run at first uh, when one of their hitters hit a ball deep to right field and our outfielder uh, Katie Maddox uh, went back and made a really good over the shoulder catch it was to one of those the game, yeah. to, 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 to win the championship if awesome. she doesn't make that catch I think they win the game Right. And we end up having to go to the what if game. So that is um, awesome. But it was it was fun and it's always exciting with the younger kids because you know, every time they win something, every time they win a championship, it's such a new thing for them. And so for those of you that are coaching younger players, it doesn't have to be winning a national championship for you to see that uh, smile and and see that glow. You know, I think for most of those kids winning any tournament or winning a game even just has that happy feeling attached to it for them. So but it was a lot of fun and so we're gonna recognize the Atlanta Vipers 08. Stewart as our team of the week this week for their success at the 10 and under national championship. Good job, so, gang. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. So, Don, you won a couple of national championships. Kind of the same feeling? We did. And I know uh, that was back in, in uh, the 90s at Kennesaw State. We won a couple national championships. And, you know, I wish that feeling on everybody. And that, you know, as you talk about it and describe the game and, and uh, you know, the, the look on the kids' faces, that's something that I wish on everybody that works hard. Anybody that, that works that hard at, at any sport, but, you know, for this uh, softball game, I wish that on all of them because it's, uh, you know, there's nothing like it to win the last game of the year. And, um, you know, that's that's a special time for everybody. So no doubt about that's it. That's awesome. I love it. So um, so we appreciate the, the people up in Johnson City. It was a great tournament. If you get a chance to take a team up there, um, I would certainly recommend it. You know, they did a really get, a good job, first class event, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So that leads us into our listener mailbag this week. Uh, we've got six really good questions we're going to work on. Um, the mailbag is sponsored by B. Sampson, Inc. B. Sampson, Inc. is our interior trim specialist. They specialize in doors and windows, custom closets, built-in bookcases, crown molding, and post and beam ceilings. B. Sampson Inc. will meet or surpass your woodworking needs. They're located in Loganville, Georgia. The phone number there is 404-569-5034. If you get in touch with Brett Sampson and uh, tell him that you heard about uh, his company on Everything Fast Pitch or mention Everything Fast Pitch or Fast Pitch Prep, we'd appreciate it. He's been a longtime supporter and is a fast pitch guy that we would love for you to contact if you have any needs uh, for any of those kinds of things. So, you ready for some questions? No, let's let's do this. I, I'm excited. He said we had a bunch, and we're going to get them. All right. So question number one is, if you could only do four hitting drills for pregame warm-up, what would they be? Oh, that's good right there. So you want to want to ping-pong them? You want to give us one, and I'll give us one? Sure. No, I'd, I'd be excited to do that. Um, so, you know, in pregame, I guess kind of the, the facilities limits us sometimes. Um, but if there are cages that are available, I know for sure uh, any type of front toss, whether it's full arm motion or, or uh, you know, seated, you know, half motion. Um, front toss, I think, is something that I would love for all the kids to get a chance to do. 
you know, facilities don't always let us, but right. uh, that's, that's... Well, uh, I think there is a shortcut you can use now. There's several companies that are selling wiffle balls um, that are very collapsible and very uh, um, limited or, flight. Yep, skills yep. is one. I love the skills ball. Um, uh, for anybody who is not familiar with the skills, it is a ball that's kind of divided in half. Half of the ball is black and half of the ball is yellow. Um, when you hit it, it flattens out pretty good. So it'll fly a little bit, you know, if you hit it well. But the thing that I really like about it is when you toss that skills ball, you can spin it so that the yellow side and the black side spin on a north south north south axis. So, so the yellow, hands. yeah, the yellow side is on the inside to the hitter, and the black side is to the outside. And I think that visually helps hitters uh, see the inner half of the ball. You know, as as hitting instructors, we spend a lot of time talking about hitting the inner half. And I think that that skills ball is great. Yeah. Um, Bonet came out with a new full size softball uh, collapsible wiffle ball um, that I saw when we were out in Colorado. It's all one color, but it's one of those things that I threw it at somebody as hard as I could from about three or four feet away, and they felt the impact of the wiffle ball, but it didn't hurt. Lighter than a skills? Yeah, yeah, about the same. About the same. And so, um, but so I think that's something that you can find now to allow you to do something like front toss. that yeah. uh, that's going to help hitters get uh, get locked in. So for me, I always like to start off with soft toss, you know, side toss. Um, I think it's a great way to work on timing, a great way for our hitters to kind of get in the rhythm, kind of work themselves up to a, a, a ready mindset. And I think that it's something that, you know, everybody should have a bonnet or two. And if you have that bonnet, you can certainly set that up and uh, use it as a uh, easy station, something that's going to be very, you know, simple and something also that the kids can work on themselves. The one thing that I tell everybody, though, when we do soft toss or side toss pregame is we try to mix in some different locations. We don't want every ball to be right down the middle, right over the heart of the Straight plate. Straight into the center of yeah. the bow net. Because, yeah. because we're working on getting ready for game action. And so I think whether it's front toss that you mentioned or soft toss, we still want to make sure that we're working inside, outside, high, low, mixing Absolutely. in some pitches that kids should not swing at. Uh, so just like they would be ready to not swing at a bad pitch when they're up at the plate, they're they're kind of warming that up. Sure, absolutely. No, as you say that, Tori, uh, I'm envisioning us uh, with the tee and or with the side toss moving the plate to uh, uh, let the bonnet be right field or let the bonnet be left field. Right. You know, like you said, obviously not just uh, not just letting them hit it back up the middle. Right. So I think that's great advice for sure. So another one for you. Another one for me. So bunting, you know, I think that like this big game you're talking about, the championship game, if we're playing ITB or extra innings, it's important for everybody to be able to bunt. So, you know, some type of a, a pepper style bunt game, if again, too, if our facilities are allowing something like that, um, you know, making sure that all the kids get a chance to do some bunting before the game. So same thing could be full full arm uh, windmill with uh, skills balls or um, even with a regular ball right. with, with actual bunting, push bunts, um, you know, base hit bunts, like a sneaky bunt, you know, all those kinds of things can uh, definitely be practiced before games. And over the course of, you know, a few months, everybody would get a lot of repetitions if, if we did that as part of warm as part of our warm-ups. Yeah. yeah, when it's one of those things that uh, bunting is not practiced enough to begin with, and it's definitely not pre-gamed 
and warmed up enough. Right. And so, you know, as coaches, I think then we get all aggravated. We fall into this trap. Well, we haven't worked on bunting for a while. And we can't we get We didn't it warm it up before the game. And then we're mad because in the bottom of the seventh inning, when we need to run, uh, get a run to win Move the game, runner. that yep. we pop up a bunt. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so some of that's on us. And then my last one is uh, something that I was a little bit skeptical about at first. But uh, our good friend Sharon Perkins uh, taught me this one this uh, past uh, year with our 18 and under gold team. Um, and I don't know for sure where Sharon got the lids. I have a sneaky feeling that there's a convenience store someplace that uh, came up a little bit of short, a little bit short on their inventory. But the uh, plastic lids that you put on the top of the uh, fountain drinks that you buy you know, when you sure. go to the go to quick the, trip. the quick trip or uh, um, kangaroo or whatever race it track. is racetrack whatever <laughs> it is uh, for whatever part of the country that you're from and uh, basically you, you throw those at the hitter kind of like a frisbee and because of the um, you know, lip on the lid you know they have a tendency to fly at different heights you know they bounce around a little bit they jump and they they cut you know you can throw them on a lot of different axes to simulate different pitches um, and it's going to be a little bit slower than a pitch would be but it's a really good tool for hitters to hand visually, eye stuff yeah, yeah. Um, and so the lids of the cups are typically uh, you know the medium size lid um, so it's big enough that you know that the hitter can actually visually track it um, but you can also do one with uh, bottle caps you know the uh, uh, caps off the top of your water bottle um, she also did that one and Sharon I love that one too and then you know old old school I remember once upon a time we used to hit popcorn seeds right yeah and those you didn't really care about because you weren't going to be there when it turned into a, a corn stalk and out the, in the and grass the, and the squirrels loved us right yeah but so I think uh, that's another great drill because it visually forces you to see the ball track the ball stay back you know wait for the ball to get there so I like them uh, I like them yeah yep. so I think those are all good ones I'm sure that there are others but I think if you did that combination of four things pregame I think your hitters are really going to be ready to perform Awesome. Okay, so question number two, and this one's got a little bit of uh, uh, sarcasm attached to it, but we're going to read it word for word. Uh-oh. Why do so many pitchers say they throw seven, eight, or nine pitches, and six of them look the same, and they can't hit their spots with any of them? Shouldn't you be able to command one pitch before you move on to <clears throat> learning another? No, this is one we kind of covered. We, we've talked about this a few times, but I think uh, obviously the fact that it was on the list of questions today means that it's one of those topics that probably is... Worth revisiting. Um, you know, having had the opportunity of working with pitchers, um, I think the listener is hitting a point very, very powerfully that I've thought for a very long time. I think that there are an awful lot of kids, and especially young kids, who think they throw pitches because somebody's told them that it is a pitch, but the ball doesn't really spin. But I changed my the grip, right way. Tori. I changed my grip. Yeah, cha- changing your grip and, <laughs> and pressure points and all those things can make the ball do some different things. But I think the point to this question is that we have this epidemic of players, pitchers, and unfortunately pitcher parents who think their kids are throwing a lot of pitches that are very, very similar. And in some cases, there's really no differentiating characteristic from one to the other. And we're truly not excelling in the skill of pitching, right? We need to, yeah. So editorial comment. My philosophy is really simple in working with a pitcher, and I've got the good fortune of working with a couple of very good young pitchers. I think you work on the fastball until you can hit the fastball with velocity and hit your spots probably 85-90% of the time. 
Sure. If you have not mastered your mechanics and your speed and your and your fastball enough, consistency consistently enough to hit 85, 90% of your spots, I don't think you're ready to learn another pitch. Don't need to be spinning and moving. Yeah. Right. And the reality of it is, I think that a great fastball and a great changeup can make a pitcher very successful e- even with no other pitches. So, you know, my, my way of thinking is we always start off with the fast fastball. We're going to work on the fastball until we feel that we can spot that pitch, command that pitch, and get it wherever we want it to go. A little technical difficulty there, but that's all right. And we'll get it to go where we want it to go every time we throw it. Until that, and I don't care what age the pitcher is, that could be a 10-year-old, it could be a 12-year-old, it could be a 17-year-old. Um, if, if they cannot hit a spot, if they cannot throw their fastball where they want it to go, they're not ready for other pitches. Then, to my way of thinking, then the first pitch we learn is a change-up. Now, I don't believe that the fastball is not a pitch. That's something that I've heard from quote-unquote pitching experts, that the fastball is not a pitch. Um, But I disagree with that sentiment. I think the fastball is if we can hit spots and do it consistently. And then I think we need to learn the change-up next. I was going to say, you can call it and term it whatever you want. That's going to be your your first pitch that you learn. Right. And just as you said, Tori, if you can't hit your spots and you can't move it around hitting your spots... You're not going to be successful, and right. there's no sense in in changing gears and trying to uh, create different movements. Change up wise, if you can if you can throw it hard, hit your spots, and change speeds, you're going to be very effective against most hitters. Absolutely. So. And then when it comes time to talk about movement pitches, here's the thing that, as a matter of fact, I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, uh, and the title of the blog was "Spin This." And the idea is that if a ball does not spin correctly, it's not the pitch that it's supposedly being given sure. credit for being. If it does not have top spin, if it's not spinning um, correctly, mean, it's I mean, not a drop ball. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not moving. A high fastball is not a rise? Yeah. And, and if it's <laughs> not spinning on a flat axis, either to the right or to the left, it's not a curveball or a screwball. And if it's not spinning on a flat axis going backspin, it's not a true rise ball. And we're and, not teasing anybody. Though. No. Yeah. But, but part of the, the, the yeah. thing we want you to think about is there are some pitchers who throw balls with unusual spins that do get movement. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with throwing something that's effective. Absolutely. But let's not confuse the discussion. Um, you know, there was a lot of discussion about Rachel Garcia throwing a rise ball that doesn't really have true, true backspin. backspin. Sure. Well, she's got enough velocity and enough oomph on the ball that the corkscrew spin that she's throwing does make it, it lift. Rises. Yeah. But it's not the true straight up at the last second rise ball that we, we talk about when we talk about the rise ball. Doesn't mean that it's not a good pitch. Doesn't mean that it's not effective. But it's not a rise ball. And you can name it and call it whatever you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so to me, you know, to kind of get back to the listener's question, um, I, I think that uh, when uh, young players specifically, when somebody comes to you and starts talking about, you know, they've got 17 pitches or whatever it is, whatever the crazy number is, you know, to my way of thinking, it can go up, it can go down, it can go right, it can go left, and it can change speeds. Right, a drop inside, a drop outside, same pitch, right? Right, a drop inside, a drop outside is a drop. 
It's, pitch. it's a pitch. And um, an inside curveball or an outside curveball, whether still it's, a in, curve ball. it's still a curveball. And a high rise, low rise, middle rise, inside rise, outside rise is still a rise ball, that's, assuming that it's got back spin. That's three pitches. Or it's really one pitch. Oh, no, I mean a total. Yeah. Drop. Yeah, we're up to three. Yep. And then, um, you know, I can't remember Drop, which one. Drop, curve, and rise. And so then we got screw. And now a screwball is a very challenging pitch because you know, that spin to get the flat spin opposite of your curve opposite of your curve is uh, it's it's a challenging complicated movement that's number four and we'll say five because we're going to count the fastball fastball okay five and change up is six after that that's it and and so the drop curve the uh, screw rise the scries the all that stuff off speed the, drop the, those are all pitches but they're not different pitches right and an off speed drop is still a drop right Okay, so doesn't mean that an off-speed version of it is not an effective tool. It can be. Absolutely. And I'm not saying that Rachel Garcia is not one of the best pitchers on the planet because she is. Awesome. But what she throws is not what those of us that have seen a real backspin rise ball think of. And again, you know, I've had the good fortune of, of seeing men's fast pitch, and I've seen a ball spin backwards, look like it's going straight until it gets about five feet in front of home plate, and then go almost straight up. You can see I've been hitting the thigh by so a it, couple of those. It, it can be done. <laughs> so let's just not confuse it. You know, the, the, the other pitches are moving. They can be effective. But anyhow, so to answer your question, yes, they should learn one before they learn the other. They should perfect one before they move on to another one. And having six average pitches that don't really do what they're supposed to do is not a very good recipe for success. And I think it's okay to have those days when you goof around with spins, Tori. But uh, again, if we're looking to be prepared to compete against other people, your advice is perfect. We need to need to make sure the fastball change, and you know, and then right. move forward. From and, there. and and my sequence is really simple: fastball, changeup, drop ball, curveball, screwball, rise ball. That's the sequence I would teach if I was teaching somebody from scratch. Because I think that the true rise ball is such a difficult pitch that we need to count on our other pitches to be leading to our success. Sharp, yeah. And you know, a rise ball that spins with corkscrew spin that goes over the heart of the plate is not a rise ball; it's a home run. Right. No, I know. I had that conversation with a pitcher tonight, and they said, uh, you know, the most challenging thing for them is to actually get up underneath the ball. You know, a, a screw ball is a little bit easier. So to your point, rise balls last, I think. Yep. All right, so here's our next question. I've always been an assistant but never a head coach. What type of rules do you set for parents prior to the season? What do you do with an awesome player who has a very negative parent? Wow. So let's start off with the rules first. Yeah, rules. I think, Tori, that you've got to have them. You've got to set guidelines and expectations, both of the players and the parents. And, um, you know, that that can be something that – you know, as you're creating those, you can add to them and amend them, right? Um, to sit down and make a list of the things that are important to uh, to the group and to the group's success um, in the eyes of the coach, I think is uh, really important. And that's for everybody to be going into the season with, you know, both eyes open and, right. and just to be fair and honest to everybody. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the seasonal commitment that we're all about to make. And, and if those things are spelled out, 
comfortably and clearly at the beginning of the season, then our expectations aren't going to be, um, you know, falling short. So, right. Yeah. And, and I think for any beginning coach, those expectations going in are really important to be set. Um, if you are going to base playing time on practice attendance or being on time, I think you need to lay those things out. If you're going to rotate players during pool play, but then play your nine best players in championship play, I think you need to lay those things out. I think if um, you have a rule about, you know, parents in the dugout or parents helping at practice or parents hovering around their kids coaching them from the coaching from the bleachers from the bleachers yeah i think you need to lay all those things out and i think each coach has to find their comfort zone one for what they think their team should be what their rules should be but then also what they're willing to enforce uh, you can't bend. Yeah, if, if you're going to tell uh, players, parents at the beginning of the season, there is no coaching from the bleachers, then you have to be willing to stick to it, sit a kid, dismiss a kid, whatever it Ask takes to, to move. Yeah, to, to, to solve that problem. Um, and unfortunately, I think in this day and age that that's something that is not always done. I think we talk about rules, we talk about guidelines, but I think sometimes the rubber doesn't necessarily meet the road when it's time to enforce them. And I think for the young coach too, uh, Tori, that everyone will respect uh, you know, them as they do have to enforce some of those, those guidelines that they create. You know, in the end, it might be uncomfortable. It might be tough, but and tell them how it's going to go. Say, look, when it happens, this is how it's going to go, and right. then then follow through on it. Yeah, and I think uh, rules that you cannot enforce or will not enforce are a waste of time. So be honest with yourself first. Sit down and think about this is how I want my team to operate. Because the reality of it is, if it's a travel ball team, it is your team. If they don't want to be on it, they don't need to be on it. And if they don't want to follow your rules, you don't have to have them on your team. You know, if it's a high school team, you know, that's a little bit different. If it's a... Yeah, the uh, level and expectations you know, maybe are going to vary. A, if it's a rec yeah. league that where, you know, you know, every team is assigned 12 players and those are the kids that you get and you have to figure out a way to make it work, that's something different. Um, but again, I think you, you want to set the guidelines in your head first, what you want your team to look like, then lay it out for your parents at the very beginning of the year and tell them this is how it's going to be. And then they have the choice. Right. And if yeah. they don't want to be on your team, that's their choice. Right. Okay. Second part, how do you handle it when you have a great kid but a nightmare parent? Ooh. Yeah. Well, here's what I can tell you. I think that you have to, again, in your mind, decide what fights are worth fighting and think about what it is that your what your agenda is as a coach. And in some situations, I think it almost is... I don't want to say child abuse, but it almost feels like it borders on child abuse for the way parents get after their own kids for making an error, walking a hitter, um, you, know, the, you know, being around the, uh, the teams that I've been around this last couple of years, some of the crazy stuff that gets said, some of the reactions to, you know, mistakes, you know, and I think sometimes we lose track of the fact that, you know, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old kid is not a machine. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. And... Um, adding all that extra pressure, you know, of, of screaming, yelling, you know, hanging on the fence, hanging on the dugout, you know, get your head in the game kinds of comments are not helping. See, I think, too, uh, in that scenario, Tori, that's one of those situations where, uh, you know, if, if, if we think that we can separate the parent and the player and, and that parent can cut loose their, you know, their student athlete um, with us, 
um, at least for the the coaching period of that time that it might be worth doing. But otherwise, I just feel like that ends up being a, a, a scenario that's going to be challenging for the whole team. Right. It's tough. Yeah. Well, and I think when you've got players in your dugout, you know, telling their friend, that's okay. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Don't let her get to you. Don't let her bother you. Don't let her get in your head. Now it's the, pouring over into the rest yeah, it, of the kids. It's, it's not just that one player who's affected anymore. You know, and, and uh, you know, I get it. We all think we're helping our kids. We all think that we're doing something good for them, but we're really not. And the after the fact that they're successful is not because you're screaming, yelling, and motivating them. And, you know, high sarcasm on the motivating so, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not being successful because of that. They're being successful in spite of it. That's old school, right? Yeah, they're old being, school motivation. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, <laughs> um, even then, you know, when we think about old school and, you know, you and I are both old school, um, there's a big difference between when your coach gets after you because you made a bonehead play and the person who brought you into this world gets after you because you made a boneheaded play. Right. And, um, you know, moms and dads, I'm just going to be honest with you, when your kid makes a mistake, it's not a reflection on you. doesn't mean you suck. doesn't mean that you should be you know, mad about it. just means that your kid made a mistake. And we need to and, move on so, and go forward. And yeah. so for, for our question, you know, here, here's my honest assessment. Again, you need to set the guidelines, what you're willing to allow. And if a player's parent gets goes beyond that crosses that line you can as nicely as politely as possible let them know that okay that's your one get out of jail free card if it happens again i'm throwing your daughter off the team tori how many times have you seen the little group of it's usually dads that that uh, are down the end of the foul pole there and that's where they have to that's where they have to participate and watch from spectate right. yeah yeah and and, and i used to think that kind of stuff was a little bit crazy that you know, we couldn't count on adults to act like adults <laughs> they know when they can't they yeah but can't if you can't it. then get down the foul line sit right. out there you know, you know get your lawn chair out watch the game watch the game and you know save up all that vitriol till the game's over and with. let them play yeah yeah um and, and again it, it's uh, disappointing but it's reality and so if uh, um, for a young coach getting into it, I would set the guidelines and say this is you know this is how it's going to be, and that could be part of that initial rule set that you talk about you know in the first half of this question. Um, sit down and explain to the parents that you know you're not going to tolerate the crazy screaming parents. I did see something I think it was on uh, HBO Sports a little bit ago, probably probably ten years ago now, but there was a soccer league that did not allow the parents <laughs> to speak. Like for a weekend or something, like for a whole tournament. That's awesome. Um, You know, and and, uh, or they were not allowed anything but cheering. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, you know, basically forcing the parents to either you're positive or you're out. Sure. And so um, and and then, you know, they interviewed the kids afterwards and was like, this is the best tournament ever. This is the best weekend ever. That's the best I've ever played. I've never been happier. I've had so much fun. And, um, you know, to see the looks on some of the parents and of their kids, uh, you know, kind of letting them know that what they're doing isn't working was interesting. But so from a coaching perspective, set your rules, set your limits, think about what you can tolerate. Stick to and, it. And if, and if you're walking away from a game going, that woman is batshit crazy, or that guy's completely out of his mind, I can't believe it, or thank God, um, that's not my kid that I'm going to have to, you know, to... Time to make a change. Yeah, yeah. Then I think it's time to think about making a change. Yeah. And it's sad for that player, but sometimes I think that, uh, um, you know, you, you, you probably don't solve the problem. If you cut a player because her parents are crazy, probably doesn't make that kid's life any better, but at least you don't have to be a witness to it. And also, too, to talk to the parent, Tori, about 
how being a part of this program and this team and your coaching style is going to benefit their, you know, their daughter. Right. You know, and, and talk them into that, that concept I think is uh, going to be helpful as well so they can cut loose and let you coach them. Right. Yeah. And, and hopefully um, that uh, starts to work a little bit more effectively. So next question is, what are you looking for when you're creating a travel schedule? Uh, competition, size of the tournament, fun locations, recruiting, um, and are there any specific places that you can find information? Um, unfortunately, I don't know. I'm sure there are some websites that give generic general information, but I think sometimes if you're working on putting that schedule together, you're going to have to do a little detective work um, and go looking at the USA, ASA, PGF uh, websites, do a little you know, search and a little hunt and peck to see what kind of tournaments are available. As far as picking the right kind of tournament, rule number one is know where you fit in the food chain. I, you, you have got to know how competitive your team really is. You have to know for sure how strong your team is and how competitive they will be against d- different levels of competition. There's two absolute nightmares. One is you have a really good team. You enter some really low-level tournament and you just... Tro- trophy hunting. Yeah, and you just roll every yeah. team you play. And the second one, which I think is even more damaging, is you have a very average or below-average team Right. In a really good tournament. And one of the things that uh, uh, we're looking at doing, uh, I'm, you know, of course, involved in helping with the Atlanta Premier Organization. And one of the things that we're working on is what we're calling our pathways. And basically that a team is okay being whatever they are, but helping them recognize the path that they're really on. And the only thing that really screws things up for an organization is when you have a really bad team wearing your uniform in a really good, good tournament. tournament, right? And then you get you know, painted with this broad brush of everybody in that organization sucks because that one team was in way over their heads. And to me, I think that's the first thing when you start to think about putting your schedule together. You've got to be aware, and you've got to do some detective work. Um, don't think just because you you know played in one tournament and you won it that that means you're ready for the PGF National Championships or the Triple Crown National Championships. Um, you might be, but you need to do a little bit of a little bit of detective work to make sure. Tori, I think what you're saying is exactly true. In early tournaments every year, it seems that uh, there's so many groups that are that are in many of these tournaments that don't know where they fit, and they haven't done any of that detective work, and um, it becomes tough. And some you know some of the really high end teams also too are like. You know, wow, we expected there to be you know better competition, right? There. So and it gets and, and that's going to always be relative. You know, you could, you can have well, our, our gold team this year. We played in a couple of tournaments early in the year where we played other teams that are good teams, but you know we're nowhere near our level of uh, of sure. ability, and uh, so we had some mismatches, even though we were playing you know pretty good teams. But um, there are some opportunities or situations where you might play a team that is so far below your level that it's no fun for everybody, right? You know, I mean. And I've seen you know a handful of times this year where if a team didn't take pity and have runners leave base early, you know, step off the base to get called out, that some games might have never ended. Right. 
I mean, and that's no fun for anybody. When you start getting up into the, we scored 10, 12 runs in an inning. Yeah. And we could do it every inning if we wanted to. I mean, there's no benefit in that. So that's the first thing when it comes time to make out your schedule. So now once you know where you fit in, so you've got a good A-level travel team and you want and you have some kids that have aspirations of playing college softball, then we have to start looking at showcase tournaments that are going to get them in front of college coaches. You have a really average B-level team, but your kids are really enthusiastic and they want to play, then I think you can find... check it out. Yeah, yeah. but maybe... You know, like here in the Atlanta area, there's Legacy, which is a very big, very high level showcase. And not every team in the Atlanta area or really every, you know, from this region should be entering that tournament because they're going to get rolled. But, um, but there are other showcases that are maybe just a little bit below that, maybe a little bit less um, nationally competitive. And so you're going to have an opportunity to accomplish the showcasing part of it, but maybe not have to play against the same level of competition. No, I think that's uh, good advice for sure, Tori. Yeah, and the other thing, and this is very, very difficult, but something that I think you know we've talked about in the past. Um, you know, we've been beating the drum about our recruiting seminar, our online recruiting seminar. Part of the challenge for setting a travel ball schedule, if recruiting is on your agenda, you have to make sure you have some idea of, one, if you have players who are truly recruitable, if they are really college players or college prospects, and two, what kinds of schools they really fit in. And so um, if you have a better idea of what kind of players you're coaching, even though they you know, say they want to play college softball, if you get informed enough, if you learn enough to know that, okay, she says she wants to go to Florida, but that's a pipe dream. There's no chance in the world she can play there. Then you can be selecting tournaments that Florida might not be recruiting at, but maybe Florida Tech. Sure. Or Florida A and M, or you know, or a junior college from Florida, or you know, something that's a little bit more fitting for what that player's skill level is. And I don't mean to bash anybody because those are all good programs. Absolutely. But, um, but there's a big difference between the University of Florida and Florida Tech. Sure. Well, and two, and part of the seminar would help describe, uh, you know, how it can be beneficial to be at those schools that you just identified, you know, at their camps and clinics, maybe right. rather than. You know, going to and to and out at a at a big legacy tournament. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so before you fly down to uh, Disney to play in the Diamond Nine Showcase with no idea that your team really is worthy of that or, or capable of playing at that level, um, do a little bit more detective work too. Um, the other one, you know, the fun locations, that kind of thing, I think there's always some room for that kind of thing on any team schedule. Um, you know, for our uh, teams this year, for the big girls and the little girls, we went to Oklahoma City. And we went there because we knew it would be a great experience. It was a great experience for the little kids. They played great, played some great competition and had a, a, a great week. For the big girls, it wasn't very much fun because we got rained out, but they still got a chance to go to some College World Series games and, and have some experiences that way. So I think the fun location thing is something that I would always build in. And the other thing I would build in is if you can incorporate something educational, something service-wise, something um, socially valuable while you're there. Um, you know, If you are in Washington, D.C. or somewhere around Washington, you know, maybe you go to the Vietnam you know, Veterans 
Veterans Memorial. If you go to Oklahoma yeah. City, you need to go down to the Murrow Building Memorial and and you know let your players about, know about, about that happening. and understand what happened. Yeah. You know it, there. Um, you know if you're in you know, any one of hundreds of places, there's going to be things that are socially important that are educational. educational that kids can take advantage of. And so I think you know building those kinds of things in is a really good idea too bunch of museums all that yeah yeah and, and so i think that there's lots of lots of things to consider um uh, and again like i said i'm not sure that there's one local or a singular website that would give you tons of information about different things but i think with a little bit of detective work a few phone calls and a little uh, time on the Find internet who's running who's yeah. running those tournaments and, and, right? and make some phone yeah. calls and you know if you call the tournament director and say okay we're yeah. curious about your tournament what kind of teams typically play and you say well we you know, we're a first year team um you know we were uh, pretty good. You know, we finished second. A, in, yeah, yeah, we finished second in our league, and we won the you know uh, Ernie Smith Memorial um, you know corn roast tournament last week. Yeah. Then that tournament director can kind of give you an idea. Well, okay, we've got you know fifteen of the twenty best teams in your age group in the country coming to play. Right. So if you hear that you know they've got 15 of the top 20 teams in the country coming and you're not sure you're the best team in your county, right? then I think you could start looking for a different tournament. Sure. Okay. So question number five, what should you look for when trying to find a hitting instructor? Another one that we've talked about a little bit in the past, but one that I think is worth revisiting because the question came up. Yeah, no, I think that's always a great question, Tori. And uh, again, we are both hitting instructors, so we're uh, you know in that mode. I think that uh, you know that anytime that we're looking at that, we need to visit with people around and ask a lot of questions about um, you know who other people are seeing, and and then find out um, you know what type of opportunities that there might be to to get in there and either watch a session that they're conducting or you know go to a session with them and see if personalities fit and if uh you know the the technique or style and it depends on uh the parent how involved they are and how how much uh you know history they've had with uh either baseball or softball and um and if philosophies gel and and uh, jive between the mom and dad and the instructor as well but um there's a lot of different things that you can do and um, a lot of people you can check out probably in your area, at least in Metro Atlanta, but, uh, you need to get out there and, and see if the personality is going to be appropriate for your, your son or daughter and, and, uh, kind of work from there. Right. Well, I think we can safely say probably almost any place in America, you can find a quote unquote hitting instructor, professional, professional yeah. hitting instructor. Um, again, the, um, level of, professionalism and, and expertise is going to vary from person to person and, and instructor to instructor. Uh, a couple of things that I think are important and things that I think good instructors do is they have a long-range vision. Um, it's not a Band-Aid approach. It's not solve one problem and create another one. It's not rip the Band-Aid off and hope that somehow the, the problem is going to miraculously heal itself. Um, I think that uh, um, I would be looking for somebody that, you know, from my conversations with them, from watching them work with with my player or other players that you could see that there is enough knowledge and experience to troubleshoot problems, but also to have an overreaching philosophy that 
takes my player to a higher level sure and allows them to you know fulfill their potential and unfortunately i think hitting is one of those areas where um, so many instructors spend all their time putting out fires that they never solve the problem of why the fire is getting started to begin with so one week she's dropping her hands and the next week she's pulling her shoulder then the next week she's turning her head then the next week she's stepping in the bucket then the next week she's you know whatever 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 and so you know 15 weeks in a row we come back with a different problem when the cause root reason for why all those problems exist is something that a knowledgeable hitting instructor is going to probably see and help to correct early early on versus the well i can see that this is screwed up but this is what they say is the problem so i'm going to fix what we the latest problem instead of the real problem and i think tori what you're talking about too comes with time so and i'm not saying you need to to shy away from young instructors but uh you know over time i think that's something that is a little easier for us to identify issues right. and things. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that, that we see a lot in our area is great players don't always make great teachers or great instructors. Now, that's not always they true. Might there, over time, there are, but, there are yeah. some young uh, hitting instructors that I think are really knowledgeable and doing a great job, but there are others who I think, because of their lack of experience, um, think that every player can be like them. Sure. And so you know, they kind of approach it like, well, I did this and I was great, so I think you should do this and you'll be great. Right. And unfortunately, you know, not every kid is five foot 10 and 175 pounds of muscle. Right. You know, not every kid is a, you know, division one superstar athletic prospect who can do things naturally that, you know, that others, others cannot. cannot. So, yeah. um, so that doesn't mean that having a former player or a, you know, former superstar uh, as an instructor is a bad thing, but it's not always the right thing. It's fun. So, but uh, um, so anyhow, yeah. hopefully that answers that question. But again, hitting a picking a hitting instructor, I think, is important. I want to just throw in the sidebar about pitching instruction. Also, pitching instruction to me is even more crucial than hitting instruction. Um, you know, we've talked about this in the past that if somebody is really screwed up in their philosophies about hitting, chances are they might make the player a worse player, but they're probably not going to cause any kind of physical injury, injury any kind of damage. Yep. A bad pitching coach can ruin a pitcher's career can teach some things that cause damage that, you know, rotator cuff, um, hip, back, all kinds of things, elbows elbows that, uh, you know, that uh, are not going to just, you know, get fixed because somebody else starts instructing. It doesn't just disappear because um, we stopped going to that person. And so um, when we talk about pitching instruction, if it does not make physical sense, if it doesn't make, if it's not the way the body is really designed to work if it looks like it hurts if it looks like it's uncomfortable if it looks awkward awkward chances are it's wrong or at least not the best practice and you know again this is another one of those things that i've seen you know a handful of pitchers that have been really successful doing some things that are are really hard to imagine um but uh you know i think overall pitching instruction is important too so we want to make sure so and then our last question in the mailbag what do you do with a player that has been going to a hitting instructor for a while but that player still isn't hitting Ooh. now we've talked about this one again too um a a couple weeks ago but i think we'll revisit it um here here's my take on it i don't think any hitting instructor is a miracle worker And I think we have to always understand that depending upon where a player is, 
is going to have a lot to say about how quickly they progress and how quickly they can... I was going to say it's case by case. It's going to be a player by player situation. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago was the parent who couldn't understand how from lesson to lesson you couldn't see a marketable, a market improvement, measurable improvement from week to week. And we talked about how, you know, when your daughter signed up for Taekwondo, they had never Taekwondo'd before and it took forever for them to learn the skills and get proficient enough that they could compete. Well, in our game, you know, we send a hitter to a hitting instructor because something is wrong and something that's wrong for the reason that they've been doing it wrong for months or years or many years and we expect that bad habit to miraculously disappear and be replaced by a new habit. So um, I think you have to be realistic. If you send somebody to a hitting instructor who is a train wreck, who has a lot of very major flaws, if you're expecting instantaneous... Improvement, instantaneous results, I think you're in for trouble. And one of the things that I talk with all my clients about is my goal is to make you a better hitter for the long haul forever. I want you to fulfill your true potential. And there are times that that definitely feels like one step backwards, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, because the unlearning of the bad habits... Not a snap of the finger. Right. And it's not going to happen in one 30-minute lesson. And it's definitely not going to happen in one 30-minute lesson and then see a noticeable difference two days later with no additional practice when they're playing in a game against a pitcher who's trying to strike them out. So, Tori, I think uh, with with that being said as well, there's a lot of other people that have input in some of these uh, batters' routine as well because they see us, you know, speaking for myself, particularly but i'll see i'll see a player and we'll have an hour workout things will be good we'll make some strides forward and then if they're hearing something different when they go to their uh travel ball coach their high school coach so you know or their parents or their parents if they're here or their friends if they're hearing a different message or they're all about emulating what someone else is doing you know it's going to be a it's going to take a lot longer to to fix or or get back to like you said um a really solid philosophy or a um, you know, a good structure for their progression, but um, you know, the once a week thing is nice, but they've got to they've got to put to good use what what we give them when they get here. And for the parents, you need to, in my opinion, you need to have somebody that you trust, right? And give them some time to work on these things, and right. then and then support and back up what we share. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that I would tell people is, as you're evaluating whether a hitter is improving, don't try to judge just by the games and just whether or not they're getting hits. Watch them as they're working in a lesson, or watch them as they're working in practice in a low. Uh, low threat environment and, intensity, and, yeah. and and then you can start to see if they are actually learning the new skills and if they're uh, them how they feel and if they're a- if they're yeah. able to um, continue to grow and continue to develop um, you know, one of the things that I think is so unrealistic about you know, evaluating a hitting instructor again is that we judge only on what they're doing in games and you know a kid might go 0 for 6 hit you know five of those six balls pretty hard 
and and be hitting the ball better than they were two weeks ago. Without the numbers to back it. But then somebody said, well, she's still 0 for 6. She still hasn't had a hit in a month. Well, right. okay. But, you know, how about, you know, how was the pitching? What was, you know, the competition like? You know, there's a lot of factors on game day that I don't think are necessarily easy to quantify <laughs> versus watching her... Is she getting better? Is her bat speed improving? Is her consistency of her swing in, increasing? Is she becoming a clearly better hitter? And my philosophy is really simple. Uh, I mean, we would love to see instant, you know, instant payoff in the games, but if from week to week in practice and week to week in lessons we're seeing improvement, we're, we're improving. And Tori, I know we can tell when we watch somebody too if we're changing their swing and if they are are making a better approach to striking the ball. We can see it, so I know I can tell when somebody's progressing like that. But usually, if we have a new student that's been having issues or, or trouble, they are probably not getting a lot of opportunity in the game time either. Right. So they might be getting one at bat Saturday morning and then one at bat Saturday night. And then on Sunday they say, "Okay, well we're going to give you a shot for." You know, for this game and you get two at bats because you're hitting ninth in the lineup, that's really tough to get on a roll when you're right. when you're getting, you know, four or five bats at a at a weekend and it's tough to to engage into a you know a good a good new mode so it's tough to hit stride right well and i think kind of the the advice i would give people is as you're evaluating whether your hitting instructor is helping or not is i honestly think i can teach every kid to be a better hitter sure but i can't guarantee that they're ever going to get a hit in a game right i mean i can't guarantee it they might never get a hit in the game, but I can tell you from week to week that they are improving. I better. can see in their in their uh, uh, performance in that lesson that they are definitely improving. They are learning. They are gaining the knowledge and the physical strength and the ability to become a better hitter. Consistency. And yep, if they yep. continue to do that, eventually the getting hits in the game and being a successful game day player will come. But it doesn't come from them going up there going, oh, my God, I have to get a hit. Yeah, mom and dad are going to be upset. Yeah, yeah mom, so, you know, yeah. and 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 the you know discussion we had the other day, you know, basically being told that I must not be a very good hitting instructor because they've had two lessons six weeks apart and they're not any better. Right. Like, well, you know, I'm I'm good, but I'm uh, I'm not Jesus Christ. I can't lay my hands on your daughter and make her a great hitter. You got magic dust. Yeah, I mean, so you know, the the Harry Potter school of hitting instruction just doesn't exist, as far as I know. So, so thank you very much for those questions. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed our discussion. We're looking for more, so please, listeners, contact us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. We would love to continue to answer your questions. We love the fact that you're contributing uh, to the uh, content for the podcast. It's uh, another clear indicator to us that more and more of you are listening and more and more of you are uh, paying attention. So that leads us to our topic, primary topic this week, Don, and it's sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. The phone number there is 678-377-0270, and you can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Uh, Elite handles all fast pitch equipment, uniforms, spirit wear, team, um, package team packages, everything yep. you can imagine. So, uh, and again, John Stewart is the owner. Um, John and I are good friends. I help uh, with a couple of his teams, uh, including our team of the week this week, which was the team that won the national championship. So, Don, last week you gave me an opportunity to vent a little <laughs> bit, and my venting has led to some blowback. Uh-oh. 
So event number one was if you're on a team, be on a team until the team is done. And my aggravation was with players um, ducking out early of the national championship tournaments, um, you know, booking early flights uh, to go on vacation or booking early flights to leave the tournament because they didn't think the team was going right. to do very well and basically <laughs> didn't bet on the team to make to, it to be successful. And so then when push came to shove and the choice was change my flight and be a part of the team or start the early vacation, go on vacation and not be part of the team, they chose the one that I can't agree with. Well, one of our listeners contacted me and basically her point was, how dare you question someone's commitment to their team because you don't know what's really going on. You don't know every team is different. Every situation is different. And you can't judge or, or throw a blanket statement out there saying that a player who leaves their team early is wrong. Tori, I think we kind of covered this a little bit earlier in one of our questions, right? We set some expectations and some guidelines for being a part of a team. And, you know, as far as I can tell, when, uh, you know, when we commit to, to being on a team, we're on the team. And I, right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't see where that changes. Right. Obviously, if there's um, unforeseen or, it, it, circumstances, right. I mean, we're compassionate yeah. to. Yeah, or, or to I all mean, that or stuff. if it's a situation where yeah. a coach has just like gone completely around the rainy, you know, raving lunatic bend. Right, and it happens, and that that might happen. So I will give the the responder, um, you know, a little bit of credit because uh, again, yes, I can imagine know. that there would be could be a situation where it's warranted. But I'm going to tell you, I think that that is by far the real exception and not the rule. And what I'm ranting about, what I was ranting about last week was, I love this team. I love my team. I love my team. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, this is the greatest team I've ever been on, but I'm going on vacation. Just take it or leave it. Yeah. Attitude. You know, yeah. You know, you're my best friends. We're going to be best friends forever. I can't imagine you know ever being on a different team. You're the best coach I've ever played for, but I didn't think we'd be playing, so I booked an early flight. Something came up. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and now if something does come up, somebody dies, somebody's sick. Oh, I get yeah. that. That's 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 oh, yeah, uh, my, totally my, understandable. My I get that 100 percent. Yeah. We yeah. just found but, something else we could do. You know, but yeah. it, it, it's like when somebody cancels a hitting lesson because it's grandma's birthday and your response is, so it's her first one. Right. You didn't know it was her birthday when she's, you know, 84 years old, you know, and right. it, you just found out today, today that it's her birthday. Right. You know, same thing, you know, similar thing. If you're on the team, be on the team. If you have an absolutely legitimate reason, I get it. But then your comments aren't, uh, you know, this is the best team we've ever been on. It's the greatest thing I can you know, ever have been a part of. I, you know, I love this team. I love my coaches. But... Right, but if it is something important, like you said, yeah, even, so, there, even Coach Tori and Coach Don are going to support you. Right, there yeah. are there there would be legitimate yeah. things, but the things we were ranting about are not those no. things. They are the it was easier for you to go on vacation than it was for you to play softball. Right, you decided that going on vacation was more important than you than finishing your commitment to your team, and so I'm going to stand by my rant from last week. And now that I'm thinking about, it, I'm getting fired up all over again. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on right. the team, be on the team. If you don't want to be on the team, don't be on the team. But you can't have one foot in and one foot out. And if you are taking the one foot out, I think you're a quitter. 
And and again too, when when we end up having to pick up players and and do other things because people aren't there that are supposed to be there, it's just not as special for the well, ones. Well, that are. and 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 the bottom line is you are you are hurting people that you supposedly love, supposedly care about. That are supposedly the best team that you've ever been a part of. You can't tell me that that's a sign of being a good teammate. It's just not. Right. So anyhow, so I appreciate your response. I re- appreciate yes. you raising the question because I will give you credit for the fact that I do believe there are going to be the occasional exceptional circumstances. But I can make a blanket statement. 99% of the kids who don't show up when their team needs them are being selfish and not thinking about the team first. And Tori, maybe they maybe they said at the beginning of the season that they were going to be away. Who know? We don't know, right? So if that's the case. But even then, <laughs> I can't give you that because right. if if you've known the schedule for six months, you could have made the could adjustment. Have wiggled, wiggled you could have, yeah, you yeah. could have done the right thing and been there for your team. No, I would be. I, I mean, I would be too. Yeah. I mean, I drove back and forth to Tennessee three times to be there for the team when I'm just an assistant coach because I thought it was important for me to be there. That was more than a few miles, right? Yeah, which was, you know, a five-hour drive three times. Right. And and that's just to be the assistant coach. Just to be there. Just to be there. So don't tell me that you couldn't have left six hours later. I, I'm not buying it. So second one was my, what was my other rant last week? I got so fired up, I lost track of what the heck we were talking about. We were talking about schools and schools and coaches. Oh, coaches. Yes. So yep. I'm going to turn on the sarcasm meter, Don. Uh-oh. So administrators, if you expect your coaches to adjust to coaching the new players, Millennial. the millennials, then administrators, you need to start doing some training. Uh, Coach Don and I were talking about um, some very high-powered companies that now what do they have isolation pods or safe zones or oh, something? Yeah. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, safe zones and and uh, safe pods where where they can go and and hide away when they're and, feeling and hide away when the, when the pressure of work is so great yep. that they can't handle it that they get to go to their little cubicle or their little pod or whatever where no safe one can space. bother them their safe space yep. And <laughs> I, 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 I'm shaking my head literally and physically right now, thinking about the fact that we've gotten to the point where somebody who works for a company is more important than the company itself. Sure. No, I know. Well, we, yeah, we're catering to something different. Suck it up, Buttercup. Well, and then, uh, yeah, as well too. The administrators need to help our coaches. Yeah, if we're gonna, they need if, to share. If, if we're going to have make the statement that a coach who can't change to coach these players. They need to be. Then they need to be trained yeah. in how to seminars, how to make those adjustments, guidelines. How do we? Yeah, right. And, and again, here here's where the rubber meets the road for me. When you tell somebody who a couple of years ago coached their team successfully enough to get to the College World Series with a program that never has had that kind of success, when you tell that coach that they have to change. I think something's a little bit screwed up. But if we're going to expect them to change before you get them in trouble, before right. you try to fire them, before you tell them that they're going to be replaced or disciplined, then I think we need to start having across-the-board training in how to handle, how to manage, how to accommodate 
these documenting players. I mean, all of it, top to bottom. Yeah, because I think it's very unfair and very unrealistic to expect a coach um, to be able to make those changes on their own, especially someone who's been coaching for a very long time and been successful for a very long time. So that leads us on to our coaching tip of the week. Coaching Tip of the Week is sponsored by Kennesaw Mattress Outlet. Kenny Abernathy is the owner of Kennesaw Mattress Outlet, and you can reach him at 678-324-6323. If you contact Kenny and tell him you're a fan of everything Fast Pitch or Fast Pitch Prep, he's going to hook you up. So our Coaching Tip of the Week, Don, is helping our players handle the pressure of the big game. We just uh, had the great experience of uh, coaching the 10 and under national championship, championship team, game. Yeah. And uh, uh, what I will say is that the way the game started off, I don't think we handled the pressure of the big game as well as we probably would have liked to. Uh, made some mistakes, made some errors. Uh, fortunately, we're talented enough, strong enough, willed, and, and capable of fighting back and winning that championship game. But what are a couple of things you would tell coaches and players about the big game? The big game, I know. I think that's exciting, and you're going to be able to share maybe some of the things that uh, came about this past weekend for y'all. But, uh, you know, for the most part, you want for the kids to feel like it's just another day it's another game that they just need to go and do what they've been doing because you know we know we both know that anytime we you know try and do more we try and swing harder we try and throw harder we try and pitch faster than we normally do it spoils the mix and then we tighten up and and crazy things happen so yeah. i think it's it's go out there and do what you've been doing because that's what got us here right right and and of course we know that that's what we're supposed to do but i think sometimes we have to consciously make an effort to remind players and coaches that you know it's not it does not it should feel like every other game but unfortunately we talk ourselves into thinking it's not like every other game and what i saw with our kids um with our our tenant under team was one you know they were so tight Amped up. Amped up, so so geeked up that, you know, balls that normally we feel cleanly, you know, might as well have been hand grenades. And, you know, the biggest thing that I noticed was, you know, we, we faced a good pitcher. You know, she was a harder thrower than what we had seen in our previous games. But she was not something so exceptional, so great that you know, we had never seen her before. We probably had seen 10 other pitchers, maybe 15 other pitchers this year that threw just as hard, just as effectively. But because of the pressure, pressure of the big game and the fact that we hadn't seen anyone quite like her um, in the last couple of games, you know, the kids were talking themselves into thinking that she was unhittable. And so um, after the second or third inning, you know, I kind of pulled them all together and I said, you know, I just asked them a, a simple question. I said, you know, how many games have we played? Well, probably 70. Well, how many pitchers do you think we've seen that are at least as good as this girl? And they're kind of like, well, 10 or 12. And I said, and how many of those did we beat? Well, nine or ten. So I like making them rationalize. So it's like, oh, yeah. and I said, so is she, th- is she Monica Abbott? Is she Jenny Finch? And they're like, oh, no, she's not that good. And I'm like, well, then why are we treating her like that? Why are we making her into, you know, Monica Abbott? You know, she's good. I mean, she was a very good player. I don't yeah. want to, you know, I don't want yeah. to diminish her her skills because I think she was a very good player and she did a really good job of getting, you know, being very effective early in the game. But all of a sudden, when we started realizing that she wasn't quite Jenny Finch, we got a couple runs, and then we got another run. And then we got another run. And then we got a couple more runs. And all of a sudden, we ended up winning the game 9-8 to eight, when in the third inning, the way things were going, you would have thought if we got a hit, 
it was going to be a shocker. Right. And so, you know, just that little reminder, that fact, you know, fact that they got to think it through for themselves and answer those questions for themselves and then helped them relax a little bit, helped them kind of see things a little bit more clearly. So instead of changing their swing because she's throwing so hard, instead of, you know, just half a swing because she's got so much power, we don't need to, you know, to you know, provide any. I was like, oh, yeah, she's just another pitcher. Right. And, and she's another good pitcher. And all of a sudden we started scoring some runs and getting some hits. Now she still had some more strikeouts because she's good. Right. But she was not that good. So, you know, and defensively, all of a sudden we settled down and started making some plays. And, you know, and they put pressure on us, but then all of a sudden we started catching some balls. And like we mentioned earlier, you know, the last out of the game was one of those that if that girl had hit that ball in the second inning, would have kept going and would have been a triple. You know, because we had finally settled in and started playing the game the way we're really capable of, tracked it, went back on it, you know, ran a long way, but made a great catch, game over. So, so. I like to, Tori, through the season as well, uh, you know, if you had games where you had to chip away and do that exact same thing, you know, you probably had tournaments or games or even maybe even championships where you've had to chip away like that and just uh, reminding them that it's still within reach. Yep. And all they got to do is just, you know, one pitch, one at bat at a time. Yeah, and and yeah. when you're down 6 nothing, it'd be easy to doubt. But when you sure. start to remind yourself of the fact that, well, we've scored 15 runs before. I mean, sure. We've scored 10 runs before. We've scored runs in bunches before. And then, you know, as soon as you get that first run on the board, it's like, oh, hey, we can do this. We got one. Yeah. Then we got two. Then we got another one. And so, um, so try to think of ways for you to help your players see that it's just really another game. That um, it is. Don't change your warm ups. Yeah. Don't, don't change your warm ups. Don't change your routine. Yep. Don't don't you know get super fired up. Um, you, you know, cheering louder isn't going to make you play better. Being able to yell louder than them isn't going to help you play the game better than they are. Being more fired up isn't going to do it. Just settle into your routine. Do the things that you know are going to work that have worked in the past, and keep reminding your players that they've been there, done that. It's just you know, it's just the game of softball the way they've played it before. Love it. All right, so. Um, like what you've heard? Be sure and check us out on Facebook. There you'll find loads of content, including dozens of blogs, videos, news about our players of the week, and tons of chances for you to like, share, or comment on what you see. Go to facebook.com slash online. Once you get there, make sure and hit that like button so all of our latest content will show up in your news feed automatically. Uh, we're going to continue to do a little bit more with Facebook Live to try to, again, get more information out to our listeners, um, and we would certainly uh, love for you to share the Facebook live feeds when those come to you as another way for us to let everybody know about everything Fast Pitch. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, be sure to take a second and subscribe to Everything Fast Pitch on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. That way you'll never miss an episode because it'll be downloaded right to your device each and every week. And what's more, it's free. If you've already subscribed, go ahead and leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think of the show. If there's a guest you'd like us to interview or a topic you'd like us like us to tackle be sure to drop us a line at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com and as always please check out our website fastpitchprep.com uh, again uh, the online recruiting seminar is easily accessible to you there a lot of, um, a lot of great informa- information um, we've got some t- fast pitch prep t-shirts for sale uh, we've got a lot of information over 400 blogs now YouTube which is channels. shocking, shocking yep. to me to think that I've written uh, an awful lot of stuff about this game and I have a lot more stuff to write about and of course the youtube channel Um, we are in the process of adding some uh, more videos uh, to the 
YouTube channel, and we would ho hope that you'll be able to find some useful information there also. So um, for uh, Coach Don McKinley, this is Coach Tori Atchison, uh, Stan Lewis in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio. Uh, we'll be back next week. And for our producer, Bull Ray, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it very much. Uh, please tell everybody to listen to Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Have a great week.